Thanks for joining us for the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise. To contact us, call us at 208-331-4096. That number again is 208-331-4096. Now here's Joel Van Hoogen. Hebrews 12 verses 1 and 2 sends to all Christians a call to run a race, a race of faith. It's a race to glorify God. It's a race to bring as many as possible through your faithful life and witness to glorify God with you. And that kind of race is a long run, and it takes endurance. Now to endure in that and to do that is the real question, because the thing that's being called upon in verse 1 is to run the race, we said last week, with patience. It means with endurance. It's not the patience that just sits around and bides its time. It's the endurance that keeps plodding out the path, keeps running the course, that drives itself forward even when it doesn't seem to be receiving the reward. That's the endurance. That's the patience that's being called for. And the question is, what would motivate us to continue to pound out, you might say, the pavement of the life of faith, reaching people for Christ, being a witness for Christ by the way we live and by the things we say and the opportunities we seize, even in the midst of resistance and the, and the antagonism of the enemy and the fast fading of the sun as time goes by so quickly, what will keep us enduring? And what we find is that this endurance is triggered by having a proper motivation. And so the Lord Jesus is lifted up for us as the example of faith. And you'll see that as the example of faith, there's a strong emphasis on what motivated him in that life of faith. It says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the captain and the perfecter of our faith. And here it is. Here's how it is that he was able to endure. Who? For the joy. And despised the cross and endured the shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ, wonderfully in his life, expresses the proper motivation that causes us to endure in a life of faith and also endure in seeking to bring more and more and more people to Christ. By the way, if that's your mission in life, if your pursuit is to bring more and more people to Christ, you're going to have the heat on your life turned up. Because Satan doesn't want you to succeed. He's going to resist it. He's going to come against you. He's going to lay an assault against your life. He's going to lay an assault against your family. He's going to lay an assault against your children. He's going to seek to insinuate himself in your relationships. He doesn't want you to succeed in that pursuit. He's going to resist you. You have to race past him. How do you do that? You have to find the right motivation. So the title of our sermon this morning is Motivation. What I want to talk to you about is some motivations that individuals try to find in order to endure in a life of faith in pursuing the faith mission to bring others to the Lord Jesus and live for Him. And I want to express to you that although you might find some help in these different motivations, that they're not the best. And what we're looking for is the best motivation, the thing that would carry us on. And I'm going to suggest to you two things, and I think we might only cover the ground of one of them this morning. But first, just let me say this. There's a wonderful little book that's written by A.W. Tozer. It's called The Root of the Righteous, and it's full of a number of different essays. And one of the essays in it is an essay on the all-importance of motive. The all-importance of motive. And in it, Tozer notes that 
in seeking a proper motivation for the life of faith and for the ministry that we bring out from that faith, that the moral quality of our acts will never rise above the level of our motivation. That our life and what we do in service and the quality of what we present before God and the enduring nature of what we present before God is of no greater value than what motivates what we do for God. And so it's very important for us to find the right motivation. Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 3, verses 12 through 15. Paul is laying out the life that he and others have lived in order to bring the gospel and to bring more people into the kingdom. And he describes it as an individual who comes and lays a foundation. And then the people that they reach for Christ are the people that they build on the foundation. So he says, we're the master builders, but you're the building. And we're building this thing up and we're growing this thing. And and then he says this in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, and the foundation is Jesus Christ, if anyone builds on this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. There's the reward, there's the prize. If anyone's work is burned, He will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, if you read that passage, you might think that Paul, again, is just talking about a life of faith, being a good person, obeying God's commands, staying true to God's will for your life. But if you read it within the context, you see that the greater context or a more complete picture of that context is it's a life lived in order to bring more and more people to Christ and to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Paul says you can do it in such a way that you can be, as you're building it, building with gold, silver, and precious stone or with wood, hay, and stubble. And by the way, the difference between gold, silver, and precious stone and wood, hay, and stubble in this passage is that wood, hay, and stubble don't endure. You put a pile of gold, silver, and precious stone and you throw in wood, hay, and stubble and you throw it on a big pile and you set it on fire and all the wood, hay, and stubble will burn away. The gold, silver, and precious stone will endure. So the issue here is, what's going to endure? What's going to last? What's going to be the thing that allows God to, out of it, construct a reward for me in the life to come? And as we spoke to our young people, I reminded them that after we've lived our lives and we've received salvation through Jesus Christ, we have that opportunity when we're going to go before Him as the Lord of all creation before we enter into heaven, there's going to be a trial that takes place. It's not a trial to see whether we're going to go into heaven or not. It's a trial to find out what kind of reward we're going to bring with us into heaven. What will be the prize that we'll gain from the life that we lived and our work's going to be tried and in a sense they're all going to be set on fire. Whatever is of wood, hay, and stubble is going to be burned away and whatever is of gold, silver, and precious stone is going to endure. Now here's what I want to suggest to you. This is what A.W. Tozer suggests as well. That The difference between wood, hay, and stubble, and gold, silver, and precious stone, these are your works that you've done that are going to be tried. The difference is what motivated what you did. What was the motivation of your life? You're going to build on a foundation basically the same way. You're going to build your walls. You're going to build your doorways, your windows. You're going to have the same, you're going to construct the same way, but the difference is what motivated how you were building. 
And your motivation is, is the alchemy. It's the thing that turns straw to gold. And the proper motivation takes the gold of God's wonderful commission that He gives to you and you carry it forth in such a way that you just produce a bunch of straw in your life that burns away. It's having the right motivation. So let's go back to this. We want to find that enduring motivation that holds up and holds up in the day in which God tests our works to see that our works were done for the right reason in the right way and they last for all eternity. Let me give you some suggestions on how we find motivation that might not be the proper way to be motivated. And though at the same time people can claim these. One of them is that people can come and they can, these are suspect ways of motivating yourself and they're not entirely wrong and sometimes they're closer to being right than wrong but there's something that doesn't quite get you there. I think to the point you need to be in the right motivation. And one of them is this, and here's a weaker one, but Oftentimes, people go out to live the Christian life or to bring other people to Jesus Christ, and they give themselves to the work of evangelism, the work of missions where they want to bring people into the Christian faith, and they're motivated by a desire to create an apologetic for their faith. They have an attitude that if they can get the conversion rate up of people that come to Christ, if they can get their church fuller and more people will come, they can demonstrate that we really do believe the right thing and we're winning. They pursue it, but it's a way of, in a sense, building up their own faith. We're winning. If we can get more people here, we know we got the right thing, and we're winning. And I remember one time meeting a gentleman on a golf course who lives in the community, and he was arguing for a religious perspective that I don't agree with, and he pointed out to me that we are, we've got the right faith. This is the right way because it's the fastest-growing religion in North America. I said, well, you know, the fastest-growing religion in the world is Islam. So they got you beat. It's not the pursuit, but oftentimes we do it that way. And as a result, oftentimes we'll dumb down the gospel. We'll dumb down what it is that we present to people so that we can get more people to come. We'll fish with whatever they're biting. You know, we'll go out there and we'll put out whatever bait we need to to get them to come in because we just want our boat full of fish because then we're winning. But you know what? It's, it's not a bass tournament. You don't get a prize for having more weight in your boat or in your cooler. It's not what it is. This is not the equivalent of the Olympic, in which there's a squaring off of the communist block against the democratic block, and the block that gets the most medals proves that they have the right ideology. It's not what it is. It can lead to a lot of shortcuts, and it can lead to doing a lot of things that are not proper, and it actually is an expression, not of our faith, but it's an expression of our insecurity and our lack of faith. If we believe what we believe, we believe it's true, whether one believes or all believe. Another thing is a person can be motivated in the pursuit and ministry and the life they live and the service they conduct in the church and the outreach they conduct to the world, and they can be motivated out of jealousy. They can be motivated out of covetousness. They can be motivated out of selfish ambition. You see... Now, this might not be something you would understand, but men who are in the ministry, in the professional ministry, who went into the ministry oftentimes were inspired by someone they saw who was bearing great influence on others for good, and they thought, you know, I want to bear great influence on others for good as well. And they saw that person maybe having influence over a lot of people, and they thought, I want to have influence over a lot of people too. And then they get into it, and all of a sudden they think, well, I want to have more influence than that guy. I want to have a greater contribution than he has. I want to get a bigger reward than he's going to get. And 
the competition begins and stirs up and you're actually doing it out of selfish ambition. You're actually doing it out of jealousy. You get your eyes focused on a person who seems to be gaining ground in the recognition of his ministry and how God is using him and you think, why am I not gaining ground and why don't I have recognition and what can I do to get more into the limelight and people don't appreciate my knowledge and my input and they overlook me and you see some other person that people sit around to and listen to and you think, you know, that guy doesn't really know that much and I know more than him. It happens. I think it happens in every walk of life, but it, it happens in ministry as well. And Paul actually says in Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, let me read to you a passage where Paul talks about this. Paul's such a positive person, he's in jail at the time. And he identifies a number of individuals who are carrying out ministry for the wrong reasons. And he says, oh, well, listen, I'm going to find something to praise God about. At least Jesus is being proclaimed and he's being preached. Philippians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains. Now, listen, this is our chance to gain some ground on Paul. He can't, he can't be out there. He can't be getting the glory. He can't be getting the honor. He can't get people following him. Now is our chance to scoop some of these people up and reach more. You want to serve God? Good. But along the way, make adjustments in your heart to make sure your motivation is all about glorifying the Lord Jesus and not simply making yourself feel better about what you believe or what you've accomplished. Thanks for joining us today at The Bread of Life. For a copy of this message, just contact us at 208-331-4096 or go to breadoflifeboise.org. Until the next time, God bless you.